This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We have another great show. Great to be with you. And um, let's get right to it. Um, let me first uh, remind you, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up for the daily email, the daily wink. What you need to know, sign up for the daily wink. It goes in your email box, 8 a.m. East Coast time. 5 a.m. Pacific time and everywhere in between. And it's a short email, a couple of links, a couple of stories, and you want to go check it out because it's what you need to know, the Daily Wink. Also, you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can see all the great interviews we've been doing as standalone links a lot there, including the two-part Larry Elder interview. I think I'm going to run that again on Friday uh, because it was so good and so strong. Larry Elder is amazing. We'll we'll uh, check on that. All right. Uh, let me see. I, I want to uh, make sure that we talk about um, uh, the um, the issues of the day a little bit, um, you know, and, and they fit together because uh, the question right now is uh, more and more is can the Biden administration uh, get out of Afghanistan by the t- the timetable that the Taliban is telling them. And it looks like they can or they can't. I'm not sure it matters. Here's what matters. Is the Rahm Emanuel never let a crisis go to waste. Okay? And so here's, I want to shift to what you need to know. And I talked about this already this week, but I'm going to hit it again. What you need to know right now, what you need to know is America is being transformed intentionally. Intentionally. And, and how is it being done intentionally? It's being done intentionally by a systematic introduction of people to this country and in a way that they cannot assimilate to become American and to be comfortable. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, in this case, we're talking about, and there's an, there was an article over on, uh, let me see where it was. There was an article over the American Prospect, which American Prospect is a liberal entity. It's a very liberal on prospect.org. I'll put the article up. And the, the article is called Why Mass, Migra- Why Mass Immigration is the Key to American Renewal. And it goes to great lengths to spell out how we can admit millions more immigrants in the coming de- decade to help the American economy. And it goes on like that. Okay. Now we'll talk about that in a minute, but that's what they're doing now. The crisis in Afghanistan, the refugee status, the so-called refugee status is an opportunity for the left to try to get their agenda furthered along. Okay. And the furthered along means we all sign up with the idea, sign on to the idea that it's better to have lots more immigration in these coming years for lots of reasons. Now, I, what I want to tell you is, that we have a problem. There's a major problem. And the two major problems are, I want to be very clear. Here's what you need to know. Two problems. We cannot control who comes into America. So when someone in the, writes a lengthy thing, the American prospect about how important it is to let workers in, they're not, what they're not admitting is our number one problem is we don't know who's coming. So the men that push their way onto the planes out of Afghanistan and coming as refugees are not, let me be clear, the women or the kids, they're the men. Some of them may be good guys, but many of them are probably criminals. And some of them are being sent in as stooges, as agents. Similarly, a million people coming across our border, our southern border, we don't know who they are. By definition, we cannot control the influx. So we have people coming in that are on the no-fly list. We have people coming in dealing drugs. We have come people coming in doing sex trafficking. We have people coming in that don't believe in assimilating at all. Whatever it is, pick a topic. Number one problem, what you need to know, number one, it's a one-two punch. Number one problem is we don't know who's coming. 
if you had a wall, if you had a system, you could say who's coming and you could control for it. But by definition, when you can't control for it, you can't control who comes in. You can't track them. You have no system. It doesn't matter. It's not, it's not a real system. You can't claim what these other people are saying when they say, Oh, we need more workers. How do we know they're workers? How do we know they're compatible with what we're doing? We, we wouldn't, you know, there was a system in our history where we said, okay, let's take this many people from this country. We knew that if you took 10,000 from Ireland, you were generally getting this type of worker. You could track what you were getting. Okay. So that's number one. What you need to know is number one of our one, two punch. We don't have control of our borders or our system of immigration, period. Nobody pretends they do. It's, it's an absolute fraudulent proposition that we have control of our borders or our immigration system. Okay. Number two, in the old days in America, when you introduce people to, and I'm not thinking about the old days that they're better because they weren't, it wasn't better to live in 1910. It's better to live in 2021. But in 1910, when you were introduced into America, there was, there was, this is number two of our one, two punch. There was a system of assimilating you into America. You became American. And so when you came, there was a, first of all, there was an entry system, Ellis Island, a, a border that you could control, a tracking system, whatever it was, however it was, we were able to control it many ways. Now we have nothing. It says anyone comes as number one. Number two, as I mentioned, you, you, when you, when you came to America in the past, you were assimilated. Why? Well, we didn't have a safety net from the government. So the safety net that you were assimilated into was your churches or your synagogue or whatever your community would be. Sometimes it was just national, right? The Ukrainian Americans, when they came, they lived together, whether they shared their churches or not, I'm not as sure. Hungarian Americans, when they came, they went to the Hungarian Catholic Church. When the Catholics, uh, the Irish Catholic came, they went to the Irish Catholic Church. When the, when the uh, Protestants came, they went to uh, the, the uh, Anglican, uh, Episcopalian churches. There was no safety net. And when you went to school and when you imbibed around you the ethos, you were encouraged to be American. You were encouraged to succeed. You were encouraged to work hard. The message was work hard and succeed in America. That's our system. Rule of law, constitution. Today, if you come to America, you are not assimilated. You're acquired by the government as a as a, a, a part of the, the feudal system, you're now put in your surf to the government and you're given stuff and you're given even, you're even given school for free, except the school for free teaches you a fake history and a, and a fake, uh, understanding of America. So the problem, what you need to know is in, in America right now, it, the idea of millions coming doesn't work because we're not controlling who's coming. And when they get here, we're not able to assimilate them because our schools are broken, our churches are broken, our communities are broken, and more importantly, those entities are broken in part because the government has stepped in to play that role. The government has stepped in to play the role of the churches that welcomed immigrants, the churches that taught immigrants, the synagogues that brought in immigrants in. And so we're living now in a sort of post-American society where the schools and the media are against the old way of success up by your bootstraps, make America, you know, make your American ethos, fill your, fulfill your American dream. And they're in favor of larger government to make you a better surf of the government. That's what you need to know. 
You can talk about all the justification for millions coming to work, except you can't control who comes. You don't know if they're in the workforce or they're qualified for the workforce or they're good for the workforce. And more importantly, you can't expect them to be in the workforce the way you want them to be because our system demands, creates better, not demands, creates dependency of all these new immigrants on a, on a broken system, either surf of the government or subservient in these schools that teach you know america last that's the problem so the crisis that's being used now and you'll start to hear the businesses corporate america will ramp up and say oh we need more workers there's not enough workers you're hearing that all the time right there's not enough workers we need more workers it doesn't matter first of all raise wages you'll find more workers stop giving handouts you'll find more workers but just be careful because you can't welcome workers in the door if you can't control the door and you can't work, welcome workers in the door if you can't control the door. And then when they get here, they're taught not to work because there's giveaways, give outs, handouts. All right, that's what you need to know. We got to take a break. We got a great show. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Very uh, grateful to have as our next guest. We had some uh, technical issues and he was patient with us. Uh, uh, John Hostetler. And John Hostetler right now works at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. If you haven't gone down to their website, they have a ton of stuff. Really valuable uh, website. And uh, he is one of the senior guys there. He's, uh, I think his title is Vice President for Federal Affairs. He's a former congressman. And uh, welcome, sir. How are you today? Just fine, Ed. Good to be with you again. Well, thank you. And we, I want to talk to you about immigration and my, uh, migration. You know, we've got these words being thrown around. And uh, you served, of course, as chairman of the House of Representatives Subcommittee on Immigration, Border Security and Claims. You know this right up close and personal. Um, you know, we're getting this crisis. I hate to say it. Rahm Emanuel, who you probably served with, who had the famous phrase, never let a crisis go to waste. Now we're being told by the media and the government, we just have to let refugees in. It's no big deal. What's the big deal? Let the refugees in. We may or may not know who they are. And But here we are. It's Describe to me what the federal government's role should be, how it should work in this setting. Well, the, the federal government should be uh, adjudicating all of these claims according to federal law. And there are there is, uh, especially with regard to asylum claims, it sounds it sounds uh, uh, so uh, obvious. But with this particular administration, that has to be. Uh, we have to kind of repeat that because this administration wants to expand uh, asylum beyond what federal statute and actually uh, international agreements that the U.S. is, is signatory to uh, and, and, and essentially make new rules for the asylum uh, system. That, that could be done, but it has to be done through Congress. And this administration is, as it is in many situations, is just bypassing Congress and making rules uh, of its own. That asylum requires um, persecution by a political entity, by a state actor, if you will, uh, as a result of race, uh, uh, religion, uh, political opinion, membership in a, in a particular group. Uh, and this administration wants to expand that uh, to include uh, violence such as gang-related violence, domestic violence, and the like. Once again, that could be done. Uh, asylum 
eligibility could be expanded, but it has to be done according to uh, our Constitution by the by the Congress first. And uh, and unfortunately, this this administration is not waiting for that. Again, we're uh, talking with former uh, Congressman John Hostetler, and he is uh, working with the uh, Texas uh, Public Policy Foundation. And one of the things they put together is a border security coalition, uh, which is uh, pushing the federal government to you know clean this up. Um, the problem, uh, Congressman, in my mind, is you've always got to rely on bureaucrats. And as we've grown the bureaucratic state, you know, I th- I'm thinking of like, you know, um, immigration judges. There's a whole set of people that are, they're not really judges. They're, they're bureaucrats who are in charge of this. And the bureaucratic class just settles in and is at least center left, if not left. And in fact, their, their preference is for more work. Nobody wants to say, Oh, I'm an immigration law judge. And, uh, well, I would prefer that there be no work. No, they want to say, Oh, let me give me lots of cases and I'll adjudicate them. And, um, so the system becomes, uh, not just self perpetuating. It, it becomes self aggrandizing. It's 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 consuming all around it. Uh, And we are where we are now. I mean, we're we're, this country. We got border the million people coming from the border, hundreds of thousands coming in refugees. Uh, How how can this how can this not be the biggest issue? I mean, and and what are your what's your hope to stop this federal leviathan? I mean, is there is there a path to stop this or is it going to be 2022? Well, uh, you might have answered your question right at the very end there, Ed, (laughs) but uh, but you're exactly right, and the problem is now that this uh, issue that has become so prominent, the, the border crisis, and I can tell you, you mentioned my service in Congress, and I was chairman of the Subcommittee on Immigration, Border Security, and Claims, as you said, and, and, and immigration was an issue back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. We passed uh, immigration reform in 1996, uh, uh, and, and, and it was a significant issue. Uh, but but it never really percolated to the top for the electorate until this year. Actually, uh, it was it's hmm. never been as as electorally uh, prominent as it has now. Uh, right now, uh, a, a majority of Americans believe that the border is a the border crisis is a serious issue, and in and in pollster terms, that that means it's it's near the top. And in Texas, it, hmm. is, uh, it is at the top. Uh, so now Afghanistan has kind of bumped that off of the off off of the uh, the top tier, you might say, recently. But but as you alluded to, this is an issue that is going to uh, uh, be addressed also, especially this asylum, uh, more so refugee issue with regard to the Afghanis that uh, that the administration is seeking to bring into the country. So that's just going to add. To this morass uh, of, of problems that we are facing, and uh, this administration uh, actually recently is taking a, a cue from the Texas Public Policy Foundation to move some of these adjudication of asylum cases away from the immigration judges. You mentioned this was actually something mm. that we recommended a couple of years ago uh, in that first spike during that first spike on the border in uh, mid to late 2019. Uh, the administration uh, put in place the, the uh, migrant protection protocols, uh, which was a, which is a different issue. But it, it had a sizable uh, uh, the Remain in Mexico program that, that told uh, individuals who came to our border to claim asylum they had to go they were returned to Mexico for the period of their claims being adjudicated. Well, that had a tremendous chilling effect because people 
weren't actually coming for asylum. They were coming for what they'd always come for, and that was essentially economic relief and prosperity in the United States. And and when when the rest of the, the world found out that you were going to have to spend your time in Mexico and not in the United States with a job in the United States, mm-hmm. they decided not to right. they decided not to come. So that had a that had a big uh, a, a big impact, and we want that to return. But this most recent change that the administration has made is uh, uh, could be a, a good first step. But uh, given the language they use and the new rule that they're suggesting, it, it sounds like they may they may just want to be facilitating more. Asylum claims being, hmm. uh, yeah. uh, being positively adjudicated than they are actually right. wanting to adjudicate them according to right. the law. Uh, we're talking we're talking with former Congressman John Hostetler. He was the chairman uh, of the House Subcommittee on Immigration, Border Security, and uh, let me get it right: Border Security and Claims. And uh, he currently is uh, the Vice President for Federal Affairs at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I want to make sure to say TexasPolicy.com, smart website. TexasPolicy.com uh, gets uh, you there to see all their stuff. Uh, Congressman, the, one, the this border um, uh, coalition you put together that that's it's got a lot of who's who of conservative. I want to ask you, though, is do you think at this point, I'm sorry, Border Security Coalition is what's called. Do you think at this point that the path that there is a path um, forward because we got we got, we got to wait for three, three, three years till uh, a new president, even if we get a House uh, and a Senate, you're fighting with the president because you're probably not going to get uh, veto proof. Is the path forward some states recognizing that st- states is where the sovereignty is and therefore somehow coming up with um, with either enforcement or a regulatory check? One of the things I think that's so damning about the current process is we don't really know who's coming in or where they're coming from or who they really are. And we can have an immigration. Immigration law judge ask him eight questions and bring them back another six months later. It doesn't really get to the bottom of it. We're seeing this with the images of the, the, the men, mostly, that jump on these planes from Afghanistan. Where's their wives and kids? Is it, but some of them are bad dudes. So w- w- the system is rotten. Can the states somehow regulate underneath the federal constitutional uh, role to try to protect their sovereignty? That's a great question, Ed. And the answer is yes. And we've seen there, there's kind of two fronts that this is being uh, uh, on which this this is being attacked. The first is uh, you're probably familiar with the successful uh, suits that have been right. brought by yep. Texas and others, uh, Arizona, for example, on various uh, policies of this administration. The most recent one has to do with that Remain in Mexico uh, program that I, I told you about uh, a Texas judge has determined uh, that that uh, uh, that 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 program was Hmm. ended uh, unlawfully. And so the Biden administration is trying to hustle to 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 take that on on appeal. Right. But if if that stays in place and the Biden administration has to revert to that policy, that will be a big win. Uh, Then we see what's happening in Texas with with uh, uh, originally the, the the deportation uh, moratorium that was put in that was reversed, and so ICE has to continue to do their job and mm-hmm. do according to law, and that is deport people who are unlawfully in the country. Uh, and then, and then you have the the other part of that is where states are uh, taking some some action to to address this issue. Texas, for example, has has uh, built a, a a fencing system to kind of continue yeah. 
the wall that the administration, right. this administration terminated the construction of. They, they're also uh, uh, arresting individuals for uh, for trespass, which is mm-hmm. a chilling effect. And then there are other uh, issues that we're working with state government, and we will be working with state government here in Texas uh, on to, to deal with the smuggling issue. Because hmm. there, there's a something oh. in federal law that gives that gives state uh, law enforcement, state and local law enforcement, really extraordinary authority that that's never been used on a on a wide scale uh, situation. So we want to do that. We want to use that federal law. We want to be within the law that will allow uh, this smuggling uh, proposition right. to be to be hmm. dampened because that's that's what's happening today. In in the past twenty years ago, when I was in Congress and before, it was single Mexican adult males crossing the border to a great extent in order to find work. But now the demographic yeah. has changed. There's the unaccompanied minors. There's family units that now eclipse those uh, yeah. uh, hmm. single Mexican males that were coming across, which, yeah. which is unprecedented. So there's we've got to find new yeah. tools to deal with this issue. And, and one of those is to empower states and to inform mm-hmm. states of what they can do. Right. Well, I think um, that uh, back in the day that two hundred two eighty section two eighty seven G, I think it was, that gave some local law enforcement yeah. uh, power. I think that's right. We got to do something like that or find a way. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out of time. I got to run. Former Congressman uh, John Hostetler, who is now one of the senior officials over the Texas Policy Foundation, Texas Public Policy Foundation, TexasPolicy dot com. Check it out. Thank you, sir. We'll put it up on social media, everybody, and we'll uh, we'll have you back on again. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Ed. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest is Brendan Busack. He's the Director of Litigation uh, for Southeastern Legal Foundation. We've had uh, one of his colleagues on a few months ago. These guys really know what they're doing. Um, i got to tell you, I've talked to you about this before. If you're a lawyer, which I am, and you see lawyers, sometimes you say, oh, those guys are just running up against the wall for fun. It, it, uh, they, they may raise money to do it. I'm not sure they're moving the needle. Southwestern Legal Foundation, they move the needle, and they mostly, more importantly, they protect people. People's rights and uh, and make progress at s excuse me slfliberty.org. Uh, I'll put it up on social media. So, Brandon, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. And it's Braden, by the way. But thanks for having me. Oh, oh, oh so, <laughs> sorry about that, uh, Braden. Um, now, down in Missouri, which is my old home state, Springfield School District. It, it, one after another, these school districts are having these these uh, issues. But in this case, you've got school educators pushing back. Walk us through this lawsuit, please. Yeah, sure. The the school district in Springfield, Missouri, requires all staff to attend a mandatory training on racial equity, so they can learn how to become a anti racist. Um, and what this means is uh, that educators have had to step forward to protect students from what they were subjected to and then been encouraged to bring to the classroom. And so we really think this case brings to light several very unconstitutional aspects of critical race theory just being pushed into our schools. It's uh, And so what happens when you're an educator in these schools and you do this? I mean, it's a little bit like suing your boss, isn't it? I mean, how, do, how does it work practically? Oh, sure. They, they, this, they requires great courage for them to do this, for them to push back. I don't have to tell you, we've talked to many teachers in this district and elsewhere who know this is wrong, but simply can't come forward for various family reasons or personal reasons. 
So I can't say enough good right. things about how courageous our clients are. But, you know, I think it's important that, uh, you know, people like you and I reflect on this. You know, we, we, we think that the educational institution is hopelessly lost to us, but in all of our cases, it's teachers who are stepping forward and fighting back for their kids. It is. And so the question I have is, how do you, how do you, cause not every parent, not every school district can have uh, a lawsuit, right? So uh, how fast do you think you can, and, and I know as, you know, as a, the director of litigation and as a lawyer, you're, you're thinking about the case in front of you. And in some ways you're thinking about precedence, but, you know, th- there is a sort of, um, public relations aspect to this about when, uh, and again, we're talking with Braden Busak, who's, uh, with, with the, uh, Southeastern Legal Foundation. How quickly do you think it can spread? Like courage is contagious. So do you find like, hey, you file one of these lawsuits and you get 10 calls from a neighboring school district? Do you And and then you say, well, this is what you have to do, X, Y, Z. And people go, yeah, I'm not sure I can do that. I mean, I've been in this situation. You'll sometimes have a good angle on something and you're in search of a plaintiff. I mean, is it is the momentum moving towards more courage? I definitely think that's true. These teachers are an inspiration for others. And we're seeing people more and more willing to step forward. You know, and I take hope as to, as to the future on this issue. I mean, yes, this is a daunting doctrine. It's terrifying to see how fast it has moved. But it's also about an inch deep. And all it takes is people like our teachers to step forward and say, this is wrong. Because most of America is not on board for this. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I, that's what that's what I think. I think, you know, look, it's one thing you see more and more parents who are, are coming to school board meetings and they're saying, hey, we got to stop this. And they, of course, they do have standing in a certain sense to go there and complain. But a school teacher is positioned sort of dramatically to make this happen across the country. Uh, Braden, is the are there is there other litigation similar to this? Um, do you expect that any of this is going to lead to precedent that everybody can point to? Or is it sort of district by district? We, we are seeing these things crop up across the country. We've got another case in Chicago for a teacher who actually reported her district uh, to the Office of Civil Rights Enforcement for violating her civil rights for promoting um, a view of race essentialism that treats children differently based on their race. That school district was literally mm-hmm. separating teachers and, and students based on their race into so-called affinity groups. And, uh, you know, that, that in 2018, after an 18-month investigation, the um, the Office of Civil Rights Enforcement actually found that, uh, that her civil rights had been violated, but unfortunately, just three days after he was inaugurated, President Biden went through those findings. Yeah, that's the problem, man. That's what people don't understand. Even President Biden directed his DOJ to drop a bunch of lawsuits that the Trump administration had taken up on a variety, a variety of subjects, um, uh, of topics. Um, so, uh, Braden, when does this, you know, I'm looking at your, uh, at your briefing or your, your documentation on this. There's an oppression matrix that they gave that they use, the Springfield uh, Public Schools. You have to find yourself on this exp- uh, oppression matrix and see how poorly or, I guess, well you're doing. This seems to be, I mean, I know this is obvious, but it seems to be spreading. I mean, I, the other day, I think it was James Madison University, one of the student uh, the student affairs, you know, the RAs and the people that are handling young students had a similar training that was like this. Um, I, I guess my question is, is this is this uh, spreading? Is it or has it been there for a while and people didn't notice? What's your sense? Well, I think that the the forces have been gathering for a long time. But what we're seeing now is just come really far, really fast. And you now have situations like the oppression matrix, and anybody can go to our website, slfliberty.org, to see what we're talking about. 
And in what's happening is that you are having teachers being compelled to agree that they are racist because they believe in such concepts as, I'm not making this up, that colorblindness is a good thing. This is a school district that was literally teaching teachers that colorblindness is a form of covert white supremacy. This is a school district that was also teaching that parents are the oppressors of their children. And this is obviously an agenda that is overtly political in nature. Um, the goal is to sway teachers to vote socialist. In the teacher programming that mm-hmm. we challenged, they absolutely told the teachers that they needed to vote socialist. So it's not about education. Wow. It's certainly not about student welfare. It isn't even about racism. It's purely political driven, and that's also illegal. Yeah, it is really interesting. The website is very helpful. Helpful. Uh, let me say again, Southeastern Legal Foundation. So slfliberty.org. And if you go there, I'll put it up on social media. The link about this uh, Springfield, um, uh, Missouri school district is very helpful. Uh, and uh, Braden Busak, the director of litigation, thank you for taking the time and uh, keep us informed. We've had some of your colleagues on. You guys are, are doing important work and anything we can do to help uh, spread the word and, as you said, uh, help make others uh, step up where they can and, and be courageous we appreciate it very much thanks for having me on i really appreciate it yeah great to be with you again everybody uh, southeastern legal foundation slfliberty.org uh braden busak you can see him in there but also especially i'll put up the uh, link to this to their story with lots of the documentation on the website of this henderson versus springfield public schools we'll take a break everybody we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in just a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A Louisville, Kentucky police officer drew the ire of the local abortion mill for having the audacity to pray outside their facility while he was off the clock. That's right. The abortionists wanted to control what this officer did in his free time just because he had his uniform on underneath a jacket. The only thing more sad than this move from the abortion mill is the fact that the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department initially capitulated to their unwarranted outrage. Early one Saturday morning, the unnamed officer drove to the abortion facility to join others who were praying outside. When he got out of his car, he put on a jacket to conceal his uniform. He stayed in front of the facility for about 45 minutes to pray and hold a sign saying pray to end abortion before getting back in his car, removing the jacket, and driving off to begin his shift. For this totally lawful and appropriate behavior, the officer was placed on administrative leave with pay. However, in the four months he was placed on leave, his income went down substantially because he was barred from working overtime hours. The department eventually let the officer come back to work, But every liberty-loving American should be asking why this officer should have to take a pay cut for the crime of praying. This shows you just how nasty pro-abortion people can be if you don't go along with their demands. In the name of protecting women's health, they want to bring professional discipline down on those who use their free time to pray for the end of the barbaric practices taking place in America's abortion mills. Clearly, the abortionists must fear the power of prayer, which they should. Regardless, America needs fearless police department heads who will protect the liberties of their officers, even when a vocal minority stands against them. Every police officer should enjoy the same rights as every other American to peacefully assemble in their off time. 
I commend this Louisville officer who bravely did his part to help end the scourge of abortion in America. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's finish up with a little um, a little story about a man who is doing something very interesting. Okay, so as you know, the listeners, um, I am from St. Louis, Missouri. I spent about 25 years of my life there. I actually spent the first uh, 17 years of my life in a western, western New Jersey town, uh, New Jersey, called White House Station. But for most of my formative life as a young adult, I was in St. Louis 25 years and lived actually part of that time in Kansas City, part in Jefferson city and there was for a period of time i don't know how many years a writer in kansas city at the kansas city star named jason whitlock he was a sports writer i think as i recall um and he was a larger than life character he's a big big guy i think he played football in college in fact i think um he was a classmate of um of somebody famous in football, and he would often write about the fact that he uh, played football with uh, this old, I think it was a Colts quarterback. Anyway, so Jason Whitlock was a really uh, a po- very popular writer uh, in um, in Kansas City and in Missouri, and he started to get some attention nationally. I don't know if he was ever um, on the... Uh, on the national ESPN stuff, like on that or not. I just know, um, he was, uh, pretty well known, pretty popular. So very interesting guy. And, um, he, uh, had his, uh, he had strong opinions back then, um, when I read him, but it wasn't like he was, um, sort of over the top. I mean, I think he was kind of well regarded and had his opinions, especially on sports. Well, in the last couple of years, Jason Whitlock has had, yeah, he was friends. I think he was friends with Jeff George. That's who it was. Jeff George, the quarterback for, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years and was, um, always considered to be a, uh, almost on the edge of the great star. He went to Purdue. He never seemed to be as big a star as everyone thought. But anyway, okay. So Jason Whitlock, he now appears fairly regularly on Tucker Carlson and other places. And the reason why is because he is an African-American man. He actually doesn't, um, I don't know if he was uh, sort of politically conservative in his career, but he says things that nobody else can say. He talks about the sort of a double standard in sports. I think he makes fun of like LeBron James kowtowing to China. You know, he's like, hey, look, we know what's going on here. You know, that's what he says. But here's what he said the other night on uh, Tucker Carlson. And, you know, there's a part of this that no white guy could say, no, uh, you know, white woman. Not, probably not, you know, it's, it's very, the personality matters. But here's what he said. He's being asked by Tucker Carlson about the agenda of the left. And he said, I don't think that 5% of the Americans believe the agenda. They're just sort of kowtowed into it. But but then he goes on and he say, you know, it, it is, um, I'm, he says, I, he starts out and he says, I'm going to say something difficult to unpack in this short amount of time, but it's what I truly believe. I think of, and he says, this is Jason Whitlock saying, I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic. 
I'm just sorry. It's it's in direct objection to God, in direct objection to the Judeo-Christian values that were the foundation of this country, and those Christian values are why we made so much progress in terms of freedom and humanity and the way we treat everybody. Yes, it was hard, but our Christian values compelled us to sacrifice our lives for freedom of other Americans, of slaves. And, and through the civil rights movement, our Christian values compelled us to take risks and fight for equality. I see, I just see a lot of what's going on here. I'm just sorry. I'm a man of faith. I was raised in the church. This stuff is satanic. That's what at the foundation, a lot of this stuff. That's what's at the foundation, a lot of this stuff. Jason Whitlock. Here's the thing. I couldn't agree more. I'm glad he said it. Because he can lead on it and we can follow. But what they're doing, the left, to children and to adults, by the way, but to children, because there's plenty of adults who get confused by life. There's not, we, we just because we hit adulthood doesn't mean that we're not susceptible to confusion and all. But the, the gender dysphoria, the, the, the disfigurement of children on gender, on sex, the way they're turning the basis of the human person into something I don't know, reversible and, and changeable and ugly and unsatisfactory and all that they're doing. It is satanic. That's true. There's no two ways about it. I'm very careful if you hear, and he said it too. I don't say so and so is satanic. I say what they're doing is satanic. I believe every person is made in the image and likeness of God, even Nancy Pelosi, and that they can be redeemed. If God wills it and God has the ability and they can change their hearts and minds, we could have great conversions. Paul was a nasty, nasty guy named Saul, and he became a great, he went from being one of the nastiest persecutors of Christians to a great Christian leader. But you can't hide your light under a bushel basket. And what I think Jason Whitlock said, people have to say. In fact, I actually think people need to say it more about some of the basics. A system of living together that keeps people degraded is evil. The system is evil. Communism is evil. I have a friend who's a fairly, um, well, he's a, let's say, say, I I don't mind. He's he's an exorcist. He he does exorcisms all over the world. He's a Catholic priest. He lives in uh, Spain. And he told me at the highest level of the communist, international communist movement, it's not just, you know, kind of bad, rotten. He said it's satanic literally it's satanic people that worship satan so the communist regime in china that exploits and degrades human beings is satanic the system is satanic and by the way if you mistreat your family or mistreat uh, your loved ones mistreat cheat at work you know you you too can be participating it's not like it's not like only in far off china do people act in that way but that system is satanic and the american system by its very founding and fiber is not satanic at its core it's that's why it's biblical and and scriptural and judeo-christian and you get the point but what you see bursting out into sort of plain sight in the last 25 years on sexuality on promiscuity on uh on uh pornography on uh defense of all these things by the way the defense by people is oh this is just what people want to do on this gender dysphoria on on all the things we're doing it is satanic and it's particularly satanic how it impacts children how it touches children 
but it's all of us actually all of us it's i shouldn't i shouldn't even bother to, to qualify it because it it does it to all of us it's an absolutely terrible terrible thing but jason whitlock good for him for having the courage and the understanding to go out and say that and to give people like me a chance to pile on me i'm not sure i would have talked like this i probably would have talked privately with people i'm not sure i would have talked on the radio there's a lot going on that's not just bad it's satanic and it's better to name it and shine the light on it than it is to pretend that it's just, ah, you know, just poor decision making. I don't know. Maybe it'll turn around. Truly, truly satanic. All right. Listen, I want to say thank you. Nothing, uh, nothing, all good and all uh, righteous about our great producer, Noah. Thank you, Noah Dingley, for everything you do to keep us on track. And also Joanna, who books our guests. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up for the daily emails there and also listen to these great segments and interviews. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.